All right, so thank you all for being here with me and bearing with me tonight in this small group Bible study here in the heat. <laughs> thank you for being here. If you'll look at Genesis chapter 23, we're going to talk again today a little bit more in detail about how Abraham handled the death of his wife, Sarah. And I promised you last week I would go into more detail about Abraham's heavenly mindedness. And so I want to do that the whole time tonight. And we're going to be relying heavily on Hebrews 11 as well, which I've also printed in the bulletin. So let's, let me read both of these real quick. I only have a selection of Genesis 23 and then a selection of Hebrews 11. Uh, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamer, the field uh, with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The, the field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Hebrews 11, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Amen. John Calvin says about the story uh, that the tomb or the sepulcher, the cave that Abraham bought, he says, quote, cried aloud that death was no obstacle to their entering on the possession of what God had promised. The tomb cried aloud that death was no obstacle to their entering into what God had promised. Don't you think that's true? When Abraham made the decision, a real estate decision, which we would think, you know, not a big deal, right? He just made a real estate decision. For Abraham, every decision was a decision directed by his faith in God and God's promise, even the real estate decision. And Abraham was staking his claim on one portion of the promised land, saying, even though Sarah is dying and even though I'm going to die soon after her and we haven't received a stitch of land, Yet I believe so firmly that God promised my descendants this land that I'm going to buy a piece of it and bury her in it. Because the burial ground at this time was the place that you were saying your generations were going to live. People were so much more tied to generations and family and history and all those kinds of things. Burial places were important. And so the sepulcher itself, Calvin says cried aloud of death being no obstacle to the promise. Now, as I read that, as I read that, and as I read it aloud to you, it should come to your mind that as Christians, don't we have another cave or sepulcher that cries aloud that death is not the end besides the cave and sepulcher of Sarah? 
It's empty, right? Which is even better. I mean, because Sarah's, let's be frank, still has Sarah's bones in it. And Abraham, who's buried next to Sarah later, and Joseph, who was buried there, all their bones, wherever that's at, are still there. But in the sepulcher that Jesus was buried in, there is not just an indication that death is not the end. There is the proof that death is not the end because Christ came out. The tomb is empty. It cries with an even greater voice that death is not the end, that we as Christians ought to be good at looking beyond this life into the next. Keeping our minds occupied with heaven even while we live upon the earth. Now, right away when we start to think about heavenly mindedness, which is what we want to talk about, people think, well, okay, that's pie in the sky. This is just a way for Christians to ignore the problems of this world, or maybe it's just a way for them to get themselves by in bad circumstances. It's just like, well, as Mark says, it's the opium, opiate of the masses. Y'all get that? It's the opium for the masses who are suffering just to numb their pain to think about heaven. Listen to C.S. Lewis. And I promise this will be my last quote from a human author tonight. A continual looking forward, he says, to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. It doesn't mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied in heaven. It is since Christians have largely, listen to this, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. And he gives us a principle. This is a C.S. Lewisism right here. You should always remember. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. There ends my quoting of human authors tonight. But I think these are very, very important things to think about. Heavenly mindedness. Do you know how to be heavenly minded? Would you consider yourself heavenly minded? Do you think about heaven? How often do you think about heaven? When you think about heaven, what do you think about? Are the decisions that you make every day in some way shaped by what you have thought about when you were thinking about heaven? All these questions are so important. And Hebrews 11 outlines five things that Abraham did in his act of faith whenever he bought the tomb for Sarah. And I just want to meditate on each, five, each of the five with you tonight briefly. And each one is hopefully going to create conversation amongst ourselves as well. We can interact tonight about these. Here they are. First of all, Abraham saw and greeted. Secondly, Abraham acknowledged that he was a stranger. Thirdly, Abraham sought another country. Fourthly, Abraham desired a better country, that is a heavenly one. And then lastly, God was not ashamed to call Abraham his own to be called Abraham's God. God was not ashamed, and, and Abraham knew it. He knew that God wasn't ashamed to be his God. 
All right, let's think about those five. Those are heavenly mindedness in a nutshell. Y'all ready? Interested? All right, first of all, Abraham saw from afar what God promised, and he greeted what he saw. That's what it says in Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, having not received the things promised. So they hadn't yet gotten all the things God promised them, which is true, by the way, of every believer. Every believer who has ever lived has died not having received everything God promised them. Do you realize that? It still happens today, and it will happen when you die, and it will happen when I die. We will die not having received everything God promises us. So we have to have the same mentality. What, did, what was his mentality? He saw them and greeted them from afar. He saw them and greeted them from afar. Uh, Jesus described Abraham this way. Abraham saw my day and was glad. And that, that was the point when everybody said to Jesus, you're crazy, you're, you're not even 50 years old yet, and you're saying Abraham saw you and he rejoiced to see you? You're an idiot. And they tried to stone him. This is in John chapter 8. Do you remember what Jesus' reply to that was? Before Abraham was, I am Yahweh. He uses the name of God as being his name. Before Abraham was, I am. And then that's when they really got mad at him. And it says he slipped out of their sight. He slipped out of their sight, which happens a lot with Jesus. I love those points when it just says he, he slipped away. You know, He escaped death before it was his time. Abraham rejoiced to see the day of Jesus, and he saw it, and he was glad. Now talk to me. How do you see something that's future? Faith, right? Okay, how, that's very true. How does faith see those things? Imagine, okay, part of it. Part of it is you're bringing, filling your mind with Thoughts, imaginations of what that thing that God has promised is. You've got to have knowledge of it, right? It has to start there, doesn't it? Um, faith doesn't just sort of create it out of thin air. In fact, faith creates nothing out of thin air. Biblical faith. Biblical faith derives everything from what God has already shown us. Y'all agree with that? Um, sometimes we don't think that way. We think, and this is the difference between pie in the sky and real biblical faith. Because there is such a thing as pie in the sky. There is. Um, can you give an example? What's something that's pie in the sky? Winning the lottery. Winning the lottery. Yeah, there's actually many people who are strict adherents to this faith of winning the lottery. Many people. Uh, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you, but there are many people out there who religiously play the lottery in the hopes that they will one day hit the Powerball. That is pie in the sky, Right? And any, in fact, it doesn't have to be the lottery. It can be something even religious. Sometimes people have ideas about God and what God's going to do for them that weren't gathered from God's promises. They were just gathered from their own wishful thinking. And they think that by believing those things, they're going to get them. But again, that's pie in the sky. Faith derives what it believes from God's speech and then faith fills its mind with all the furniture that that promise evokes. You might call that meditation, where you're 
filling out the furniture of your mind with the pieces that God has laid out in his word. Right? So you take a promise from here, a promise from there, a promise from here, and you're stringing together the promises God has given. And, and in your mind, by, by understanding all the things that God is, is saying there, you're filling out a full picture of what your heavenly future will be like. So that it becomes more real and tangible to you. So that faith has something to hang on to. Abraham did that. Abraham looked forward to the day when he would have descendants more than the sand of the sea, when they would possess the land of Canaan, when through them all the nations would be blessed, when in fact he would receive what God called an everlasting possession, which was something that he knew he couldn't get in this world in the way that it currently was. And so Abraham looked at heaven and he believed in it. He saw it from afar. Do you know that faith is a muscle? Or I shouldn't say it is. It's like a muscle. It's metaphorically a muscle. And like a muscle, faith has to be exercised to be strong. If it's not exercised, it'll grow weak. So a person that doesn't ever think about the promises of God related to heaven, it's not a surprise if that person begins to think heaven is faint and not even real and kind of pie in the sky and very distant from their life. It's no, no, no secret why they feel that way. Because they're not exercising the muscle, so to speak, of faith in the promises about heaven. Uh, some of you all tell me, well, what are some of the biblical furniture that God gives us about future glory? Heavenly glory. Let's think about it. Let's set some furniture out tonight. We're going to be with God. That's the biggest one, right? We're going to be with God. We're going to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. No more tears, no more death, no more disease, no more war. I'm repeating everything for the recording because no, they can't hear. So I'm not just saying your things after you just for just fill time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Place that's pure and holy, incorruptible, no lies. Marriage feast. Of the Lamb, right? What's that? Praising God, casting down our crowns around the glassy sea, as it says in Revelation, right? Praising God. Um, no more sin. Yep. No more sin. There will be no sin permitted in the gates. And forever growing. Forever growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Anything else? Yeah. We will inherit all that Christ inherits. Heirs with Christ. This is why Jesus says, by the way, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The whole thing. The whole thing. If you're a Christian, Paris will be yours. Or what's left of it. Or if you prefer London, Budapest, Tokyo, Mulberry. The transformed version, the new creation, the place where there's no evil or sin will be yours. Why? Because you're Christ and he's with you and he'll never leave you and 
I mean, even the pictures of there is no sun or moon and no need for it because God himself is their light and there's no temple because God himself is, is with them as the temple. And it's just amazing, the pictures. And, and, and granted, yeah, these are all sort of metaphorical, symbolic pictures and you still can't fully picture it. But that's not the point of, of having to fully picture it. The point is being able to f- for faith to feed upon the promise. And God, you know... It turns out God is good at picking what he says and what he doesn't say. Go figure that, right? And so the things God has chosen to tell us about heaven are, are actually the exact things we need to build our faith. The things he didn't tell us, apparently we don't need them right now. We've got to have enough confidence in the Bible to believe that, that God, whatever God thought we needed, he said it. And if he didn't, think, he didn't say it, he didn't think we needed it. Beautiful. Abraham understood this. He saw what wasn't his yet, but not only that, he greeted it. He greeted it. Now, what does that tell you? He saw it, and he greeted it. Oh, yeah. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Mm. Sarah's gone. Oh, that I might get there with her. You see, he greeted it. Uh, the word greeting uh, just indicates a happy, and that's why Jesus said he saw me and rejoiced to see me, meaning he was, joy, he was full of joy. He, his heart overflowed from the abundance of what he had filled his mind with about heaven and about the future promises of God, and he lived off of that. It was Abraham's fuel to think about the future promises of God and to cling to it. You see, it's a wonderful thing as Christians to know what God has already done for you. We should celebrate that every day. Every day we should give thanks for all the blessings of that day, which we already have in our possession, and that builds faith. But nothing can replace the work of looking ahead to what he hasn't yet given you, but you know he's going to because he promised it, and learning how to rejoice in that. All right, Um, and so as Christians, especially as evangelicals, we talk. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't talk. You should talk any less about the cross. I'm not saying you shouldn't talk any less about the cross. The cross you should think about and talk about ceaselessly. We should rejoice in the cross, but sometimes we rejoice in the cross, but fail to rejoice in the future glory that He's promised. We fail to think about heaven. We think about what God did 2,000 years ago, but not what He's promised to do in the future. And there's an imbalance there that I think we need to have corrected. Uh, Abraham was able to endure in his faith, not just because God had called him out of Ur into Canaan and God has sustained him through all kinds of famines and trouble. He knew all that and he believed it and he loved it. He never stopped thanking God about it. But Abraham was especially fueled by looking ahead to what hadn't yet happened that God would do. And so as Christians, we've got to have a better imagination a faith-fueled imagination that knows how to meditate on future promises, to see and to greet from afar. Faith takes things that are separated in time and brings them together. Do you see how that is? Faith takes things that are separated in time and it brings them together. Uh, That's why Paul's able to say to the Ephesians, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Like now, 
Obviously, they weren't physically. That was something that would happen in the future for them and for us. And yet, Paul's able to say, you are. Because faith takes things separated by time and brings them together. All right, that's the first thing. Abraham saw and Abraham greeted. we got to learn how to do that. But secondly, Abraham acknowledged that he was a stranger. So it seems like Abraham's faith didn't just impact how he looked at his life. It impacted even how he spoke about his life. So looking at the, uh, the Genesis passage again, it says in verse 4 of Genesis 23, Abraham got up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. And it's interesting that Hebrews, in uh, Hebrews 11, verse 13 again, says that Abraham, when he said that, wasn't just speaking about Canaan. He wasn't speaking about being a foreigner among the Hittites in Canaan. He was speaking actually bigger than that. He was speaking about being a stranger and an exile on the earth. He learned how to call himself out of place in the world in its present form. Why is that important, do you think, that Abraham said that out loud? I am a sojourner and a foreigner. right yeah yeah how you see yourself is how you interact with the world around you and how people see you seeing yourself will affect how they interact with you right Um, so for him to say I am a stranger and a sojourner among you would tip the Hittites off to I need to interact with it Abraham wants to be interacted with as a foreigner why is that important for us and how can we do the same thing Yeah, not being attached to this world and not being afraid to let other people know that we're not attached to this world by how we speak about ourselves, by how we speak about our lives, by how we speak about them and their lives. A good example of this in the New Testament is in James. James is a great book in the New Testament, kind of like a Proverbs of the New Testament. And James says... um, you boast because you say, tomorrow I will, I will go to this town and buy this thing and do this and that, and tomorrow and the next day I'm going to do this and that. And he says, you're actually sinning when you do that because you don't have a single bit of control over anything that happens in your life. You ought to always say, if the Lord wills, I will go and do this and that. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about learning how to speak publicly about yourself, knowing that you're a stranger on earth. And indeed, it is a strange thing to say, if the Lord wills, I will do that. Who says that anymore, right? Yeah, our grandmas used to say that, definitely, all the time, right? Grandma, grandpa used to always say that, Lord willing. My, my grandfather, my grandmothers, all, my grandmother still says it, Lord willing, I will do this. And yeah, okay, it can become just a cliche, sort of a bless your heart type thing. It can. But we shouldn't denigrate that because it can become a bless your heart thing. There is something about the discipline of learning how to speak of yourself and of your life in a God-fearing way that is important. 
It was to Abraham, and the writer of the Hebrews pointed it out and said, hey, look at how he said that, I'm a stranger and a foreigner. What he was doing there is actually saying, I'm a stranger on the earth. He was acknowledging his identity as a, as a believer was primary to anything else. And he wanted everybody to treat him as such. Lord willing. Clint? Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, so yeah, if you try to simply go to the second point without having gone through the first point, it'll be artificial. It'll just be a Lord willing, like, bless your heart, you know. Uh, you have to first learn how to see and greet from afar the treasures of God for it to be genuine when you say, you know what, I, this world is not my home. Yeah. It is, yeah, that's right. This world is not my home. Just passing through. It's passing through. And, you know, probably, yeah, in a great deal of our grandparents' lives, um, that was genuine. I would imagine. I, I can say that about my grandparents, that that was a genuine thing, that they had learned to see the presence of God and life with God as more valuable than any other thing on the earth. And so when they said, Lord willing, they really meant that. When Abraham said, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner, he wasn't just saying, bless your heart. He meant it. Because he really saw there were more pleasures at the right hand of God than on earth. That's what Clint's saying, and that's a gold mine. Uh, it was too long to repeat for the recording, but you had to be here to catch that gold mine. Yeah. You've got to learn how to delight in God, right? In order to see yourself right and to see the world right. After all, the chief and highest end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Yes, it's to enjoy him. Yes, there's something in it for us. But there's only something in it for us if we learn how to love and, and obey him, which is what it means to glorify him. I mean, you know, there's only something in it for us if we forget about us and invest ourselves in him. That's the whole logic behind that first question of the catechism. Uh, the late Anthony Bourdain uh, once famously said that, and he was uh, quoting scripture when he said, they say the body is a temple, and I say it's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. Bad thing to say, in my opinion. Uh, but you kind of understand what he was getting at. You know, enjoy life, don't deny yourselves pleasures and things like that. That's probably what he meant by it. However, what he had wrong was not that life is meant to be enjoyable. What he had wrong is the most enjoyment is found in the temple. We think it's found in the amusement park, and we're wrong. The joy is found in the temple, and that's heaven, when the whole world becomes a temple. 
Abraham saw it. Abraham knew it, and therefore he acknowledged, I don't need this world to be an amusement park because I got the temple. Wow. Amazing. Third thing. I've got to keep moving through these. Abraham sought, it says, a homeland. Verse 14, for people who speak like this, people who say, I'm a stranger here on earth, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Notice again, it wasn't just a turn of phrase for Abraham. He didn't just go around saying, I'm a stranger, I'm a stranger, just as a cliche. He said it because in his heart he was seeking home. And he knew home was not here. Not at least in its present conditions. And so he lived his life seeking something by faith that he did not have possession of, but yet he sought it. It changed how he acted. When Abraham rose up from before his dead and bought the field and declared to the world, I am a stranger and yet I'm going to buy this piece of land because God has promised it to me forever as a heavenly inheritance. Abraham was showing, was he not? that he believed he had a greater and a better home that God would give him. Not on this earth. This world is not my home. People who speak this way make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking, continue there in Hebrews 11, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. I pointed out last week, that's what Abraham could have thought about. Which is why I think in the end of Genesis 22, it puts in that random sort of reminder of Abraham's broader family back in the other place. There in verses 20 to 24 of chapter 22. You, you might read that and think, why in the world is that? In the, why did they put that in there? It seems very out of place. It's to remind us, by the way, Abraham still had a family back in that other place. And yet when Sarah died, he's not going to think about going back there. He's going to stake his claim here because he's seeking the homeland that God is going to give him, not the homeland that people can give him. This is important. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, another way to say that, you are what you seek. You are what you seek. What do you think it means to seek a homeland as a Christian? Let's put some flesh on that. What does that practically mean? Yeah, right. Made for God. And so part of the practicality is I'm going to be spending some time with God. I'm going I'm to have time in my life, we talked about this morning, public time, private time, secret time with God. Because after all, that's where my home is. And so we can draw the conclusion, if I'm not wanting to spend time with God in those areas, I'm not seeking a homeland in those areas. I think I've already got it. Or I'm trying to find it somewhere else. But I'm not seeking it with God because if I'm seeking it with God... The opportunity is there to show that I'm really seeking it, <laughs> and I'm not taking that opportunity. What other practical things do you think of? 
Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's exactly right. And then that, you know, when Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart be also, he was getting at that, right? That um, you should spend your treasure here investing in there. You know, um, he said, um, how does he put it? Spend your money here to make friends for yourself for eternity. Jesus says it that way, which is always one of my favorite teachings on money, you know. Use your money here to make eternal friends. Meaning what? I'll explain that. Because that, that sounds a little like, okay, how do I do that? What does that mean? That's right. Investing your money in, in ways, all the different ways that the church is given to help people in, whether that's mercy, whether that's the, the preaching of the gospel, whether that's you yourself investing time into those activities or giving money that others might do it. Um, Jesus is saying, you're, put your money where your mouth is. You know, If you seek a homeland, start investing now in that homeland. Abraham made a real estate decision. At the end of the day, that's what Genesis 23 is about. A purchase of real estate. And similarly, we as Christians can also make real estate decisions in heaven now. By investing our time, our money, our resources, all those various things. I like what you said, what you think, what you do, where you go. Thinking about all those areas as, okay, which one of these is an investment in not only this earth, but heaven? That's how Jesus teaches us to think. Um, you know, again, going back to the C.S. Lewis quote, I think Jesus, you know, affirms that quote that when we are focusing on heaven and building up heaven on earth, then it will make a difference on earth. But the way to make a difference on earth is not by ignoring heaven. <laughs> actually, that's actually what everybody's been doing all this time. That's why the earth is in such a bad shape. Right? So let's try something different. <laughs> let's start investing there and see what happens. That is the true trickle-down economics. You know, that really does work. Where when someone invests in heaven with their time and treasure and talent, it really does affect life on earth for themselves and others. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Yeah, you have poor in spirit. You have mourners, meek people, people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, peacemakers, merciful people, and people that are persecuted for righteousness. Did I miss one? Pure in heart. Um, and then Jesus adds to the front of everyone, happy are those who... Blessed are they who 
Uh, okay, and the world actually says the opposite. Blessed are those who are rich in spirit, fully affirmed in all their ways and who they are and all that. You know, that's what the world says. Jesus said, no, it's actually better for you to be poor in spirit, to think that you're bankrupt. It is. It's so upside down, isn't it? It's completely upside down. Blessed are the mourner. What? We think blessed are the partiers. Blessed are the people that are happy all the time. So, yeah, it's very foreign. And, and so part of how you um, seek a homeland is beginning now to live by the customs of that future country rather than the customs of this one. And the customs of that country are the Beatitudes and the Ten Commandments and the, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, no, basically the whole Bible. Yeah, so let's just put, throw that in there. This is the customs <laughs> of the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, there's too much in here. Well, yeah, I grant you that. There, are, there is too much. But you can, you've got a whole lifetime, as much as God gives you. Go get in there and have fun, right? Certainly don't do this. Don't leave it on the shelf and then pretend like you want another country. Don't do that. Because that actually is the thing that doesn't make sense, you know. That's a bless your heart moment. <laughs> it's a platitude. I do it too. I'm sensible of that. Like I, I am very sensible and get convicted often that when I catch myself saying, man, I want heaven, I want heaven, and then I actually am not, I'm living like this is my home. You know. Hopefully God is convicting your heart about that all the time too. All right. Abraham sought a homeland by faith. Next thing. Abraham desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Now, you might think, okay, well, how is that different than what you just said? Abraham was seeking uh, a, another place. What is it, what's different about desiring a better country that is a heavenly one from seeking a homeland? Well, let me just turn the question back around. What do you think the difference is? Why does it say it both ways? You gotta really think it's better, yes. Right. When it says seeking a homeland, it might be that you're seeking something because you think, well, it's the right thing to do, but you really, deep down, don't think it's better. You're just doing it because it's what you're supposed to do. There, you know, you might think that. But it puts it out of doubt that you're not thinking that by saying he desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Right? It's showing you clearly that Abraham was not just simply you know, doing his duty, simply. He was doing his duty, but he was doing it out of delight. He wanted heaven. Well, desire is a heavy word. Desire's a heavy word, very heavy word. We saw it in the passage this morning, right? The desires for other things in life can choke out the word. Well, here's a desire that doesn't choke out the word, a desire for a better country. Now, if we went around the, the country now in, in America and asked people, do you desire a better country? How many people would say yes? All the Republicans. <laughs> Repub I think a lot of the Democrats probably would, right? I think maybe everybody. They, they'll have different reasons for saying that, and they'll have certainly different visions of what a better country is. But everybody's going to say, man, I, I want a better country. That's why it adds, that is, a heavenly one. Because <laughs> what we're not speaking of here is, you know, some kind of nation state. 
that Abraham's looking forward to. Um, he did believe, by the way, I think he believed, that God was going to give his family a nation state. But what this is saying is he believed beyond even that. He didn't think the nation of Israel was it. And neither should we. Uh, we certainly shouldn't think America is it. Right? We should look beyond it. We love America, when we, and as they surely should have loved Israel. But we look beyond it. Yes, Alex. There's a, a phrase in the Psalms in a couple of Psalms that says they saw a city. They saw the city, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Zion, the city of our God. That's, that's the psalm, right? There is a river whose streams make glad. The city of our God, where God lives. That's what Abraham desired. He wanted it more than anything, and he actually believed it's better. Now, this is the this is the conundrum. How do you actually get to the point where you believe the heavenly country is better than what you have now? Now, half of you looked at me like, duh. <laughs> but I, I think this is a real question because do we, do we live like that, though? I'm asking. I mean, maybe we do. But I'm, I'm asking the question legitimately. Do we live like we really have been convinced that the heavenly country is better than this one. Yeah, I know that I, I don't. I know that I always don't. I know that. I don't know how what the percentage would be <laughs> of the times when I do, but I know it's not where it needs to be. Now, there are moments, of course, where the veil becomes thinner because of maybe a tragedy in life or a breaking down of body or thing where, where you really see it and you become really keen on, man, heaven's going to be way better. We've all had those moments. And I think this is one of those moments for Abraham. His wife died. And that, those are beautiful moments. But how, do you, but how do you get that to be more consistent through all the moments? Yeah. Good. It is. Being in the Word, yep. Filling your mind with that place, the furniture of that place. Um, filling your mind with the person who is the number one feature of that place. So if you, if you grow in your understanding of who God is and why He is so glorious and amazing and worthy of all your praise and love, adoration, you're going to want to be with Him. Right? Um, I think that's a good answer to how we can become more a keen, you know, attuned to that in the everyday of our lives. Um, sometimes, you know, like the veil gets thinner when we go through tragedy, I think. We, we actually start to want heaven more because we realize just how bad things can get here. But when things are going really well, maybe the veil gets thicker or something. Something happens where we get numbed. You know, this is what Jesus was talking about this morning when he said, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches. It, riches can create a thicker veil between you and heaven and the promises where you can't see them from afar quite so well because 
Well, you got such good things. Yeah, right. He is. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I, and obviously, and I, yeah, one, I'll I'll get Alex and Jan. Right, have your hand up. Uh, let me say one thing before I forget it. And obviously, the things of this world do require attention, or else they would fall apart. Right. The trick is learning how to <laughs> learning how to pay attention to those things with a view to heaven. Right? It's not neglecting the earth that we're talking about tonight. I don't know who had their hand up first. I'll let Alex and Jan figure that one out. Who wants to go first? <laughs> Ladies, first. Ladies first, yeah. Age, yes, it does. Yeah, when you're young, remember, it's like, man, I don't want Jesus to come back because I want to get married. I want to drive. I want to see you. There's always, I want to have kids. There's always something else. I want the kids to leave the house so we can... Have fun again, you know, whatever that is that you think, you know, in the heat of the moment all the time. Uh, and Yeah, so it can become very easy to fall into a I don't want heaven mentality. But I think you're right. Yeah, the older you get and the more tragedy that I think you face as you get older, usually the tragedy increases. Um, you, yeah, the veil becomes thinner. Yeah, I think so. That's good. So he didn't just seek a, another country. He desired it because he knew it was better. He knew it was better. Um, and I think we need work on that every day. That's kind of what I'm getting to. Like, if, like every day I think we need work on reminding ourselves that it's better there. It's better with God. It's better in his way. You know? He's better to be with. Yes, yes, me too. Yes, but then, yeah. right. It's, you know, you, you, inquire, you encounter tragedy or, uh, you know, being a teacher. Which is a kind of tragedy yeah. at times. <laughs> it's a form of, of tragic. Yeah. <laughs> it's a reminder of this is, this is a world without God and how sad yeah. it is. And sometimes I forget yeah. who... Me too. Me too. Yeah. Clint? As a, as a diagnostic of Yeah. And, and breakdowns that we don't, uh, causes that we don't. If you want heaven, a couple of diagnostics. If you want heaven for anything other than God's there, that's a great diagnostic of yeah. stuff. Right. And Mm-hmm. 
That's right. Yeah. I love that. And, yeah, if I could say it, um, piggyback off that. Because, no, I think that's wonderful. But to piggyback off that, I, I do think you just at some point have to either believe it or don't that spending time with God is going to make you want him. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah. It is. It's work that he will do for you, but that's right. And at some point, everybody's just got to have to answer that question. You either want him or you don't. You either believe that he's good enough to be around, that it's going to improve your eternity and your life now to be around him often, and you're going to be around him. Or you don't, and you're not. And, you know, you know I don't mean to be blunt, but I am being blunt. <laughs> and I kind of mean to be right now, actually, because it's worthy of bluntness. Um, people do what they want to do. People go where they want to go. People invest in things they believe are invest worthy. And at the end of the day, do you believe God's worth it or not? I can't make that happen in you. I don't even believe you can make it happen in yourself. So you better fall on your face and beg the Lord <laughs> if you think this is worth it. If not, you know, I'll pray for you. You know? And I'm speaking not just to you here, but I'm speaking to the hypothetical person too who is having a hard time with their priorities. Because that's, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what, that's what it is. Um, things in the, Mark Twain, who is not a believer, <laughs> by any means, said some very interesting things. Um, he said this about the Bible. He says, the thing about the Bible, it's not the things that are hard to understand that scare me. It's the things that are very plain in the Bible that scare me. And I think what he meant was, sometimes we imagine that the Scripture is presenting us some calculus that is impossible to grasp in reality, these things are actually quite simple. It's just they're really hard. And so people don't want to do them. I don't want to do them. We don't want to do them. But they're actually quite simple <laughs> at the end of the day. Well, last thing, and I'll say this with the kids here. Welcome back, kids. The last thing we see is that God was not ashamed to be called their God or Abraham's God. For he prepared for them a city. And this is very important. The more our minds are in heaven, the more we're thinking about the future country, the more we're going to know God actually wants us there. How about that? You know, like how about them apples? That not only is it that we can want God, but that we actually find out God wants us more than we want him. He is not ashamed to be called their God. Meaning, he loves it. He loves to be called their God. He loves for them to be called his people. Think about heaven, y'all. Think about, be, be with God. Why? Because you're going to learn some things about God in there. And one of the things you're going to learn is how much he loves and adores his people. How much he wants heaven peopled with us. And there's a deep, I, I think there's a deep encouragement for all of life in that. Um, you cannot outlove God. I know that's a kind of a cliche, but you really can't. You can't outgive Him and you can't outlove Him. And no matter how far along we get on the trail of learning to love and delight in God, man, we're never going to match His love for us.
Abraham tasted that, and he died in faith. Don't you want to die in faith? I do. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your grace and your blessing that you do prepare us to live and to die, that you are the God of the dead and of the living. And so, Lord, we pray that tonight you would write your truths on our hearts. Help us to be in heaven more than we are now, in our minds, in our hearts. Stir us to want you, God. Be with our friends and family members and co-workers who do not want you. Those that think that heaven is mud water compared to earth. God, help them. Help us, Lord. Help us to want you, to seek you with all of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. Last song, Be Thou My Vision. Be what I look at. Be what I aim at. This is number 642. Heavenly minded hymn. If there ever was one, let's stand together and sing it. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best up by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, Thy presence my my wisdom and now my true word I ever with thee and thou with me Lord thou my great father I thy true son thou in me dwelling and I shield sword for my fight be thou my dignity thou my delight thou my soul shelter thou my high tower raise thou me heavenward O power of my power Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou owe me first in my heart. King of heaven. My treasure thou art. 
High King of Heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright and sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision. being here tonight and sweating with us and worshiping with us. Uh, let's uh, go out tonight in the blessing of the benediction. May the Lord God fill you with hope so that you may have all joy and peace in believing and that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Go in his hope this week and we'll see you next week. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget the tailgate on Friday night. Tailgate Friday night.